Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to listen live in the central Indiana area, you can hear us on 93.5 FM and 107.5 FM. Time, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Pipeline from CBS 4 and Fox 59. Mike Chappell joins us. All right, Mike, I was talking to Bob Kravitz a little bit earlier, and Frank Reich said this week that, that what they did on Sunday is, is non-sustainable. 58 throws by a 37-year-old quarterback, I get. But can they not take certain variations of that offense and put it to good use and help them out, especially that offensive line, more? Will you expect to see that coming up on Sunday in Tennessee, or is it back to something different? Offensively, what's your expectation that you see? It's just a really good question. And what I'd like to know is, remember what, what Frank told us is he was he was kind of hopeful that Taylor would play last week, and then, you know, it was more wishful thinking, he said, but then he couldn't. You know, if Taylor plays last week, did, did they still throw it 58 times or – and he gets 10 of those receptions that Jackson got. So how much of that was where well, we don't have Taylor, we don't have Hines, we've got to do something. And I think they get both Hines and Taylor back this week. So what do you try to do? 50 passes is not sustainable. Just look it up. I mean, I, I, and I did. The Colts are like 6-25 and 25 all time throwing the ball 50 times. 66, 25, and 1 because of the Houston tie. So it's just, it's not the way to do it, but there are times that it is. Uh, and if, if they, with, with Taylor and Hines back, do they try to go back to more of what they, what they think they want to be with, you know, 60, 40 pass run and really try to feature Taylor? I don't know. There is a place for the no huddle on occasion. We're not going to. This isn't going to be Jim Kelly and the K gun. It's it's just not. They're not built that way. Uh, so I'm really curious to see how they do it. They they want. They need to run the ball some. They just do. You know, it's since that opener, they've just not gotten anything done from the running game. And you know, their their best player is Jonathan Taylor. So you've got to get more out of him. They've got very little little out of Hines so far. That's another story for another day why they can't get that done. But yeah, I, I can see mixing in the no huddle. It gives them tempo. And it's one thing that Peyton Manning always used to point out is it, it, yes, it speeds things up and you can go at your own pace, but what it really does when you do it the right way is it doesn't let the other team sub. You keep their people on the field. And that was what's so cool about when you had Dallas Clark, he was almost a third receiver and you really force him into bad matchups. And, and Kylan Granson can do that. He's got that kind of skill. Uh, there, there's a place for it. How much? I really, I'm curious. Because they, they at their core, while, you know, Frank knows they've got to throw the ball X number of times and be aggressive, but he also knows the way this team's built is a run game. I'm really curious how they mix the two now that they're getting their personnel back. <clears throat> All right, I want to go with that story line that you kind of mentioned. You save it for a later date because I'm interested. I had Deion Jackson on the show you know yesterday. And, yeah, well, I mean, Deion Jackson in the past two games, you know, up until he got injured, looked good. And a lot of what he was doing, I think people expected it, it certainly a consistency, a higher level of consistency from 21. So has that inconsistency, and I, I know I'm not talking about the game. He was injured in Denver, you know, didn't obviously play against Jacksonville. But 
we expected a lot more from him. So is that on him or is that on the offense? Where would you lay claim to any blame as far as his results not being what we were told going back to training camp? Well, that's on them. It, it's not him. Uh, and, and if he hadn't got that concussion on that third play, I mean, who knows what his workload would have been. Remember the first three plays were, were to him at Denver. So he would have got a heavy, heavy workload. But it's on, it's on them. It, it just is. And early in the season, everything worked against them. I'm not, I don't want to give him a pass, but so much you fall behind and it, it just was hard to sustain things that they weren't sustaining drives Their plays were down and you're still trying to get Taylor the ball. You're still trying to get Pittman the ball. And it was just hard to work in Hines, but moving forward, they've just, boy, how, how many times have we had this discussion about not utilizing one of your, one of your playmakers and, but to do that, to, to really do that and, and make it all work with Taylor and Pittman and everybody, and, and Pierce is coming on, you've got to have X number of plays in a game. You, you can't really – it's not conducive to get behind, and you, and you just need to get the, the, the rhythm on offense. And that's why that – with uh, what they were doing with the no huddle, maybe that is really where a Naheem Hines would step up and really be good. But at the same time, you've got Taylor, and I – I'm not saying he's a problem. He's not. I mean, goodness gracious, 1,800 yards last year on a zillion touchdowns. But but it, it's it, it's so it, it's difficult to balance throwing the ball as much as you really need to to win in, in this league with getting Jonathan Taylor his touches. Because we've seen he can take over a game if he gets his 20, 25 touches or not touches, but carries, and is doing his thing. Then they're going to win most of the time because he's that good. So yeah, it's really curious, and Naheem Hines, it's 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 on them for not being able to, to, to get it done, and it will be on them moving forward to make sure that he gets the appropriate number, whatever that number is, the appropriate number of touches, because he he is that good, and he can, you know, just think if and and I'm not even remotely criticizing Deion Jackson. I think he had ten catches for seventy nine yards. I think it was. You know what does Naheem Hines do with ten catches? I mean, you know, he, I, I just think he's got more explosiveness in him than, than what Deion Jackson has. And Deion Jackson's given him two great games, two really, really good games. But he, he's not Taylor, and he's not Hines. I'm not sure if Hines is is going to hold up if you give him twelve or thirteen carries a game as a running back. But I, I, ju- I just want to see how, not how if. They can, they can still stay, stay somewhat up-tempo and, and also try to be who they think they need to be, and that's a run team. And this is a good time to do it. This is a good game to do it because I just don't think, unless you go out there and lay the ball in the field like they did last time against Tennessee, the games are going to stay close and it's going to stay winnable because that's how Tennessee plays unless you go out there and have three turnovers again. Mike Chappell of CBS4 and Fox 59 on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. How how are they going to handle things offensively? Do you think that what we saw uh, with with the uh, no huddle, what we saw with the shorter pass patterns, you know, the adjustments they clearly made in that many bye week with that offense, do you think that had a great deal to do with the successful pass protection that we have seen really for the first time extended period-wise this season? 
probably goes hand in hand. I mean, if you, if you look, they really got the ball out of Ryan's hands. They Ryan really got the ball out of his hands quick. Uh, and, and you know, the 58 throws and, and no sacks. You know, that that's the best ratio in franchise history. And I, I looked it up. It's 11th best all time in the NFL. That many throws and no sacks. Uh, but but I tell you, and not to throw water on the offensive line because they played well, but he still got pounded a couple times. There there were four or five plays where he just got rocked with the short drop. So there's there's still some issues with the offensive line. But when you can do that, you know, quarterbacks are going to get hit. But when you can limit, you know, the the free shots and the constant barrage on him, you can see what they you know 34 points and they really look good in rhythm. So I, I think they can still do that. Now, what was missing until the last play of the game was was shuts down the field. You know, most of that stuff was was short and crossing and and use tight ends and all that, which is great. But they still need to, to incorporate some deep threat, some deep throws, which you know we're always nitpicking on how they can do things differently. So it, it, it just shows that this this is another way for them to go. And these crossing routes and the short stuff. To, to all these guys, to Pierce and Pittman and, and Paris Campbell. He's played well. It just shows there's another way to do it. And if they can get their running game going, I mean, and, and it's really a big if because the last five games, they've not run the ball well, you know, from start to finish. So if they can get back to somewhere close to what they were and have that kind of efficiency in the past game, then, then this can be a pretty strong offensive team. But I need to sit more than one game to see that that, that that can be done, you know, over and over again. Yeah, I bring this up. I think I've brought this up with you before too. Mike Chapel joins us because Jim Mercer had been so outspoken, you know, regarding Tennessee and beating Tennessee. You can kind of yeah. tell I've described it as smitten and or jealous of not just their their you know recent history success, but the way they play because the way they play is obviously kind of what the Colts wanted to build here uh, offensively and defensively speaking here. Um, is, is that true? Do you think it's smitten? Is there a bit of jealousy? Is it more about uh, results or more about the way yeah, that they play anything there? Probably both. Yes. Smitten. Yeah. yeah he, he likes the way they do it. He's always been a fan of Brable. Of Brable. He always has. And I'm not saying they built this team after the way Tennessee does. This is just sort of the way Chris Ballard and Frank Reichert primarily Chris, Chris Ballard believes a team needs to be built defensive line, tough defense on offensive line and, and run the ball. And now how would that change if, if a certain quarterback were still here or they, they get a quarterback who's more, you know, more of a, 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 of a, of a steady deep threat type of thing. I don't know, but yeah, it's in, in the fact that Tennessee's won four straight and was it five out of six and all this stuff. And, and really just sort of sort of taking over the division. And, and until you beat them, you know, it's, it's the old thing, until you beat the champs, they're the champs. And and it, it's kind of crazy how this game, and, you know, you'll go to your must win and all that kind of stuff. But it, it's one of those that how different the rest of the season is, or at least the immediate part of the season is, depending on if you win or lose. I mean, you, you win and you've sort of got control of the division with a couple of winnable games, Washington and you know, was it New England coming up? So, so it, it's it you can really sort of set yourself up. We talked about this going into the season, which which they've not done, taken advantage of. 
the boys you get beat and you still got the Tennessee thing. You've got an, an, an owner that's PO'd again over the fact you can't beat these guys. And then you're just playing catch up the rest of the way. And, you know, I, I went back and looked and they, this, these guys have never won the division with a losing record in the division. It's, it sort of makes sense, but, but, and they've only won the division one time, you know, three and three in the division. So it's just, that's the way you get in, and and but you're right. That, that Tennessee thing is it, it stared him in the face, and he's made his his feelings known about it. The team knows about it. The coaches staff knows about it, and you, you just got to beat them. And it, like I say, it's not like they're this. It's not that they're the Buffalo Bills and they're going to blow your doors off. That that's not who they are. But they just they just kind of roll their sleeves and and sort of pound on you, and if you. You know, they smack you in the face, and if you don't smack them back, you know, it's a long day. So I, I think these guys, they understand that, but, you know, mm-hmm. can they do something about it? And until they do, it's there. And until they do, Reggie Wayne can't get up there on the stage and say, well, you know, it's over X number of years, we won 19. And, and until you, you, you end the narrative, it's there, and all you can do is look at it and say, yeah, they got us. And that's no, that's no way to be. There's no way to be that somebody's just going to beat you and beat you until you find a way to end it so my chapel with us jonathan taylor naheem hines shaquille leonard likelihood we see we'll start with that trio right there on sunday yeah two out of three well i need to see Shaq play i, I mean i would agree it. I, yeah i tell you i thought you know initially we had talked about why not put him on ir because you know he, he was gonna miss two games anyway which he has and I, th- I thought it would take another couple of games to where he could, you know, after having surgery on his nose. But he's back out there. And, you know, if not this week, then next week, I think probably for sure. But that's pretty impressive. I, I've not, I've never had a broken nose. I've just got to think to have a broken nose and get out there on a football field and get have people smack your head for 60 minutes would just hurt. <laughs> would just hurt. Uh, the other two, I think, play. I just – Jonathan Taylor had a different uh, vibe about him today than last week. He, he just did. And Naheem Hines is, was, was kind of very upbeat in the locker room, and he's been a full participant the last two days. He's just got that last independent neurologist to, to be cleared by. I, he was close last week. Uh, so I I think they're back. And it's just good to finally have your your, your two guys back and again that's not to disparage Deion Jackson or Philip Lindsay at all because those guys came in and did a pretty good job but you know they're they're one and two for a reason Jonathan Taylor had his great season last year for a reason he's got his picture on the building for a reason uh they're just a different team they can be a different team when Jonathan Taylor is doing what what he does all right if they lose how do you view this team moving forward, especially off the momentum I guess you gained in the past two, even with that ugly win in Denver on that Thursday night, but certainly on Sunday against Jacksonville. They lose the workload that they're going to have to make themselves legitimized as uh, a possible playoff team. It, it, it's, it depends on how they lose. I mean, if they go out there and they just get rolled, which I don't think happens, that's one thing. If you go and you play really well and, and – Tennessee plays well and they beat you with a field goal at the end or whatever. I think they can build on that and there's still reason to believe. Now, if they, if they just get 
pulverized, you know, or, or, or just they're not, you know, it, it's not competitive in the fourth quarter. Then there's reason for concern. And I, I guess it would be what gives you, what, what do you point to to say, well, you know, last half of the year they can come back because of what? Well, it depends on how you play. If you play well and get beat, then you can still build on that. Although the task is just going to be as hard as, you know, no matter how you play, but as long as they play well and, and lose, I could, I could still be optimistic. Uh, if they lose and, and just have one of those Jacksonville games or where they just don't play well, what gives you the, the optimism to think they can come out of it. But I, I don't think they win Sunday, but I'm not going to be surprised if they do. Cause I, I just, I do think that, that that if they can if they can just keep those turnovers and the sacks down, not turnovers down, you know, get rid of the turnovers and keep sacks down. I like this team with what we saw last week, but again, I've got to see it more than just one afternoon. Hey, Mike, before I let you go to Frank Reich, I think it was on Culture Roundtable Live with Matt Taylor back on Monday, uh, went the I told you so route with this wide receiving group <laughs> right now. Yeah. Um, I. It's funny because you hear the preaching of patience from coaches, whether it's, you know, executives, whatever. And then, you know, we did have a sample size basically this year, especially of, you know, six weeks. And it goes back four years from me. Is is it time with that particular group, you think, to be able to hand out those I told you so's for those that maybe were non-believing like me, certainly in the offseason? No, I'm, I was one of those non-believers too. I think he was having fun, which is fine. But no, I, I, I'm still not. The thing is, the offensive line issues have been so immense that I thought, you know, receivers aren't so bad. They're playing pretty well, and the tight ends are playing well. So that those two areas that we were concerned about have played pretty well. But boy, you get past the first three receivers, and who? Who's your fourth? Ash, you really miss Ashton Doolin. Uh, but I really like Pierce. I really like Pittman, and I really like Paris Campbell. We're still waiting for Paris Campbell's big game, but I still don't like the depth. I mean, we saw what happened when Pierce and and, Pier- and Pittman were both out early in the year, and you know, any team loses their top two guys, it's going to hurt. But I'm still not crazy about the depth at receiver, and and at some point you're going to need your fourth and fifth guy to step up and. We've we've really not seen that really be be for them to be able to do that yet. So I, so far they've played well with those guys in the last few games. These the top three guys have been really really good. But yeah, I I'm still concerned, and it, it's it's the top to bottom depth that always concerns you because somebody's going to get hurt because somebody always gets hurt. And I'm not real confident on the fourth and fifth receiver right now being able to step up and give you six for 80 or whatever when you really need it. I actually felt like I got, I told you so a couple of times this week from the Colts head coach (laughs) and then from the fans out there regarding Matt Ryan. And I don't think I've been wrong about his shortcomings. While I also realize that a great deal has to do with the offensive line. You just can't look past 11 fumbles and, you know, seven interceptions through the, what, first, six weeks of the season. So uh, that, I don't know how else to view it, but did we kind of see maybe a, uh, a a transition for the better from him on Sunday, or might that just be a blip on the radar? We'll see. It, it's so week to week. I've not been as harsh on Ryan as you have, uh, because I, I, 
I, I put so much of, of, of the bad play on the offensive line and where so many times he had no chance. And then he goes out and throws a couple of just dumb interceptions and it just throws my defense of him out the window. But I, I, I think, you know, but, but again, they, they can't live on 50 passes and 389 yards from, from Matt Ryan. They just, that's just, that's going to get you beat. That's going to get you beat and over the long haul. And, and they know that, but I think he's played, Boy, it's, it's so. It's kind of like the old. Uh, how'd you like to play, Mrs. Lincoln? Well, okay, except for the gunshot. You know, I, I think except for the turnovers, he's played pretty well. He, he, he's brought them back to win in position five games, uh, even the Tennessee game earlier. You know, they, they win at Houston if a kicker kicks a forty-two yard field goal. So, so he. But but then at the same time, he helped put him in the spot to trail in those games. A lot of these fourth quarter coming backs by all these quarterbacks is because the quarterback, you know, puts you in a position to come back. But I think he's played well, mostly, but you cannot survive with what you had 11 fumbles and seven interceptions. And you no, can't do it. Can't, I, yeah. I don't care who you're, I don't care who you are. You can't do it. And, but if he cleans up his act, like he did last week, by and large, I, I think this offense can be pretty good. It's Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59. We'll see what happens in Nashville coming up on Sunday. And then, as we always do, Mike, react and respond accordingly. That's what we thereafter. do. Yeah. That's what we do. Accordingly is what we do. Thank you, buddy. You Have go. a great weekend. Next week. It's a Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59. Bob Kravitz of The Athletic is with us. All right, what did you think about last night, Bob, across the board? Well, I saw some promising uh, things. Uh, I thought Ben Matherin looked terrific. Um, I thought that uh, Halliburton was hunting his shot and uh, was more aggressive offensively than he was than I remember him being last year. And I thought, I thought they played hard. They didn't always play well. They're de- defensively, they struggled as we suspected they might, but I thought we got what we pretty much expected, which was competitive, spirited basketball that wasn't really that great. And I think we're in for a season of that, and I think that's what we all expected. And, you know, pray for Victor Wembanyama. I I have said for this, and Bob Kravitz of the Athletic joins us. Actually, a friend of the show had tweeted and said, hey, all I've heard today in Sports Talk Radio is just such a downer for this young team and this Pacer team after – after one game, and I, I, my point has been this. You're just going to have to embrace the smaller yeah. things, and what I mean by that is those little victories that probably will not involve winning, you're going to have to really embrace those, and, and if, we really, if we really didn't care or, you know, really wanted to, you know, put this season in a bad spot, then we, you wouldn't cover them then we wouldn't talk about it. But we will continue to talk about them even if they don't win games because we know yeah, as far as that opportunity, it's going to be few and far between for the most part this season. Improvement is going to be incremental. Um, and keep in mind, they lost one of their you know two best players uh, last night before they even got started, which is, uh, you know, I feel really bad for the ball boy. <laughs> How bad does he feel? But... Uh, no, I look. If Indi- if Indianapolis is if it, if we're such a great basketball state, then we will understand 
what the Pacers are trying to do, and to a certain degree, uh, support what they're doing. Because, And I think there's going to be some really good victories this year. I think there are going to be some fun moments. Uh, you're going to get to see Ben Matherin grow. Uh, I realize that Andrew Nemhar didn't play last night, but I really like his game. Um, you know, uh, Isaiah Jackson didn't have a big, a good night, but he's going to be a player. I mean, they've got a lot of guys. You just have to look at it through a different lens. And this, this year is not about wins and losses. Well, it's about losses, really. But it's not so much about success uh, or failure as much as it is incremental improvement and, and rebuilding. And, look, people in this town, you know, th- this organization has been to, what, eight Eastern Conference finals since, I think, 94. I mean, they've been pretty damn successful considering – that, you know, they're usually near the bottom in terms of payroll. So we've gotten some pretty good NBA basketball around here for a long time. It was time to rebuild. You could call it a tank, call it whatever you want. But this was the right approach to take. And I give them as an organization credit and Herb Simon credit for recognizing this is the way to go. So. Um... Bob Kravitz with us. Often people bring this up to me because you've got Vegas and you've got a Seattle potential reload as an NBA franchise somewhere out there. And this is something both you and I dealt with back in the early 2000s regarding the Colts because every year, you know, there was a new rumor about, you know, L.A. wants a team and here's who they want and all this. And then finally that went away. Do you have at all any worry that with if people don't come down and go to games and they have sparse attendance figures again this year, that that may come around as a conversation later on? Look, if, if they uh, put a team back in Seattle, uh, you know, if they move a team, not we're not talking about expansion, but if they move a team to Seattle, certainly the Pacers being a small market that's had limited success in terms of uh, – um, you know, putting butts in the seats, attendance. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there'll be uh, a, a team that will be considered. I can tell you this, as long as Herb Simon is with us, this team is going nowhere. Now, I don't know about the succession plan. I don't know who would make that decision. I'm assuming Steve Simon. Um, but I can tell you that as long as Herb is, is around, and yes, he's 88 years old, uh, this team is not going anywhere. So Bob Kravitz of The Athletic with us, and I ask you this because you you know him probably as well as anybody, certainly for a number of years around him. Um, Jim Irsay at the owners' meetings in New York City a couple of days ago being outspoken regarding Daniel Snyder and what's going on in the NFL via ownership with the Washington Commanders. And this was this is my educated theory, and I'm, I'm curious what you think about it. There was a lot to go into, and I think it's because of his daughters. Um, I think it's, you know, obviously because that's what he feels is right. But I also think that he was the lone guy to be outspoken because he kind of views himself and really wants to, to hope to – to take a lead among those higher-level NFL owners, you know, a, a verbal lead going into the future with that in mind? Do you think he wants to be a leader or known as a leader as far as NFL owners are concerned moving forward? Was that also a part of this, you think, in your opinion? No, I, I don't think so. I think, I think look, Jim is, is, is an important owner in, you know, the scope of ownership in the NFL. But he's not, he's not Jerry Jones. He's not Robert Kraft. 
he's always going to be a guy who goes to the beat of his own drum. He's going to be a little bit different. I just think this is Jim being Jim, you know, and he realizes, I, I think he said what they were all thinking. He was just the only one who had the, the cojones to say it. Um, I thought it was great. I, I think, you know, being a girl dad uh, and having seven granddaughters and looking at the the really horrendous history of the uh, of that franchise and how they've treated women in particular, I, that would piss me off. I would take that personally. I mean, you should, whether you've got daughters or sons, just if you're a decent human being. But I think being a girl dad and having those granddaughters, it, it does give you a different perspective. I've got two daughters, and certainly I, I look at those issues uh, in, a, in a slightly different way. So, no, I don't think he's trying to, you know, be more influential. I just think this is Jim being Jim. And should he have said it? Probably not. I'm sure all the owners are pissed off at him, you know, for saying something before the, uh, the, the, the study is out, before the investigation is done. But he, he's just, you know, he's just saying what needs to be said, and I give him great credit for that. It's Bob Kravitz of The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. His football team in a mammoth game coming up on Sunday down in Nashville. Uh, we were going through our picks a moment ago, Bob, and I, I stayed in mind this way. I, I can't, in, in good faith right now, even with what they did, especially in the second half, and I loved, you know, the change of scheme offensively. I love the no huddle. I love the shorter pass patterns, which I think helped out the offense and flow and rhythm and helped out the offensive line as well. But in good faith, I can't pick the Colts until I see them finally get over on what has been historically here recently, a much tougher and more of a grinding, regardless of the circumstances, Tennessee team. What do you think? Well, look, Jacksonville went for two, 243 on the ground last week. What the hell is Derrick Henry going to do? Um, so that, that, that concerns me, but more to the point, the way they won last week is not sustainable. You can't throw 58 passes. If you throw 58 passes, you're going to get beat 40 to 40 to 10 um, against against Tennessee. So I thought last week was was a unique situation. Um, but look, until they can run the ball and until they can consistently protect uh, Matt Ryan, not just the one week. I really they did a great job last week, but until they can do that. I, I just think they're going to have a hard time putting points on the board uh, on Sunday. Uh, I would I would take Tennessee every day, all day in that game. Um, you know, uh, clearly it's a game they have to win if they want any chance to, to walk away with the uh, AFC South. But, yeah, what they did last week was, I think, a one-off. Uh, and uh, this is going to be a whole different uh, a different challenge. Yeah, I I agree with the sustainable aspect of it, but I also think you have to take certain, you know, variations from it. And I I mean, the shorter pass patterns, because it's something you mentioned, and we all know that this offensive line, it's only going to be offensively as good as the offensive line. And I thought more so than even the no huddle stuff, which we know is not something that they're going to do the entirety of the time on Sunday, but the shorter pass patterns you know, and more of what we saw of that on Sunday, I think is essential. And I thought it helped out that offensive line against Jacksonville that were all over them down in Jacksonville in week number two. Right. Well, the, his time, time to throw is 2.4 seconds. He was getting rid of the ball quick. But 
look, uh, you again, not sustainable. Uh, a smart, a smart coach is going to play press coverage. He's going to force them to go go downfield. And I'm not convinced yet that this offensive line can hold up. You know, especially against a Tennessee team that's got Simmons and Danico Autry, who they never should have let go. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's. It's going to be it's going to be an interesting game, but uh, honestly, I, I like Tennessee uh, pretty handily. If you're if you're asking how I would bet the game, which I'm not going to. Uh, we're live at Coaches Downtown, Larceny Bourbon Locks, Luna Azul Tequila Shots, Suite Number Seven, uh, inside the lounge via YouTube Live, and from the Athletic Bob Kravitz is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline um, about the return of guys. Coming up on Sunday, your expectation is Jonathan Taylor back. What about Naheem Hines? And then uh, looking ahead, I guess, with Shaquille Leonard having some contact situations, too, as of yesterday. What do you think about these guys and the possibility of return? Yeah, you know, I I have not been out there this week, but uh, reading and talking to Zach and uh, James, it sounds like all three of those guys uh, are, are likely to be back. So that that's uh, that's uh, obviously a, a really good thing. Uh, we'll know we'll know a hell of a lot more, more uh, tomorrow. Uh, I'll head on out there tomorrow, and uh, we'll know certainly by game time. Uh, but uh, these might be game time decisions. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, when, whenever there's any questions, the game time decision because you don't want to play your cards uh, that way. But uh, yeah, that would make a big difference. I mean, they're not getting the turnovers. Uh, certainly, Shaq Leonard would help there. Um, I, lo- I really like what Deion uh, Jackson brought them last week. But, again, uh, but you know, he's Jonathan Taylor, you know. I mean, I'll take Jonathan Taylor every day, all, all you know, I mean, 24-7, 365. So, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I, I think, uh, you know, they, it comes down to the offensive line, John. You, you know it. I know. We all know yeah. it. You know, can Dennis Kelly hold up? Uh, can Pryor hold up? I mean, they haven't found a position he can play well yet. Uh, I hate to be nasty toward the guy. He seems like a really nice guy, but he just hasn't gotten it done. All right, before I let you go, you and I have been on the same page regarding the play of Matt Ryan so far. Has that yeah. to you been more about Matt Ryan or more about the offensive line play? Well, you know, I mean, look, it, uh, it, they go hand in hand. But, you know, 11 fumbles is not all on the offensive line. Seven interceptions um, are not all on the offensive line. Uh, I give him credit. He played really, really well on Sunday against Jacksonville. But by and large, I don't think he's been a hell of a lot better, if at all, than Carson Wentz uh, through the first, whatever, six games. Uh, I know nobody wants to hear that, but you look at the numbers, and 11 fumbles, that's unbelievable. I mean, that's, you're on a major record pace there. Now, it's, you know, yeah, he's getting hit, but ball security, man. I mean, you're an NFL quarterback. You know, there are times where it can't be helped, but there's also times when you can do a lot better job with ball security. I have not been impressed with Matt Ryan. Uh, I think it's imperative that they use the next draft to go get their quarterback of the future. Uh, if that means that Matt Ryan sticks around another year, and mentors uh, the rookie, that's fine. But they have got to get off the quarterback treadmill, and they need to do it next year. 
Yeah, and I think they were going to do that anyway, but certainly that has been escalated because of uh, how uh, that quarterback situation has looked thus far. Hey, Bob, I appreciate it more than you know. Bob Kravitz of The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Show up at a live show again sometime soon, man. We enjoyed it the last time out. We'll do real quick. Uh, if you get a chance to check it out, I got a piece about uh, the four-year anniversary of uh, the Tyler Trent game in The Athletic today, so uh, check it out. Well done, buddy. I appreciate you, Bob. Thank you. Right. See you, man. It's uh, Bob Kravitz right there, The Athletic, via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. The Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, Valley Sports Indiana. He does the pregame. He does the in-game. He does the halftime and the postgame. Jeremiah Johnson joins us. Was um, I remembering effectively that Domus Sabonis also at some point in his Pacers career stepped on something or stepped on somebody or had something happen rolling of the ankles in a warm-up pregame-wise and had to sit? You thought correctly. I thought maybe it was a couple of years ago, but I did some some fact-checking while I heard you talk about that just so I'd be accurate. It was March of 2018, and uh, just to refresh everyone's memory, that was a situation where he had sprained an ankle and it was the game he was set to come back and then he retweaked it. So in situations like that you know your ankle may not be quite as strong and maybe if you if he didn't have that previous injury he would have been able to walk that one off Uh, but that caused him to miss that game and I don't know how much more time but that it it did bring back memories to what happened at Amante Sabonis you don't see it often but you do see people go up for rebounds or go up for shots and land on ankles you just don't expect it and shoot around a really unfortunate and as Rick Carlisle said today unlucky situation for Miles Turner. So, J.J. from Bally Sports Indiana on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. That happened at about 5 o'clock yesterday because 33, as 33 will do, dedicated to the team, and his ass is out there earlier than anybody else, before anybody else. That's something that I know. He's out there because he's a major part of this team. Is there any video? Did you guys have anything rolling on that that we know about, that we have seen? I asked someone today, and I got the answer that there wasn't any. It's one of those, you know, sometimes there is video. Those are those are not real warm-ups necessarily. Those are some individual shooting sessions. And so I think the time that Sabonis had uh, sprained his ankle, we did have video and had to talk with the team. And obviously you don't want to out the ball boy in that situation. Yeah. But I don't believe there's any video of this one. I've not seen or heard of any. But I, the one thing I do, I do think is important to say, and I heard you, accurately describe the situation there's no way this would have happened on purpose miles turner wanted to play in this game i could tell in talking with him today just how disappointed he was he had family in town he'd been working since january to get back on the court and play in an nba game there's no way he would not have wanted you know to play last night and the other thing that he said which was brought up to me last night as well is that you know he had a foot injury but this is strictly a sprained ankle it's not related to the previous injury that kept him out. So while unfortunate, it is a little bit of a bump in the road. And if he he was out six months, seven months, however long since he last played a regular season game, if you add another week onto it, it's not that big a deal. It's just unfortunate, the timing, because they were looking forward to seeing what he could do with this lineup this season. Yeah, well, and you, know, you can look at it, and I know how you're going to look at it, but there's a section of fans and those that cover this team that kind of – You know, where they are right now, you kind of at times, you know, hope that you're competitive. But, you know, in the win column, you know what I mean? Maybe not. And, you know, had 33 been out there, you get a seven-point loss and you're down by three and have a shot at at tying it. You know, maybe something's different. So what stood out to you last night as far as uh, good play, 
higher level of players concerned, excitable with this particular team, starting with both Halliburton and the rookie Benedict Matherin and what they showed in game number one last night? Well, the first thing is you can tell the difference between a regular season game and a preseason game. I mean, Washington brought up the intensity level. They were a really physical team, and and taking Miles Turner off the court, it made it challenging at times for the Pacers' front court. They're already going to have some issues with teams maybe – you're like the Knicks in the regular season and, and some other teams that are built with a physical front court. And so when you take miles away, it was difficult. It was that much more challenging to get to the basket and finish. In the preseason, the Pacers had a lot of success in the points in the paint category, both you know for them and then defensively. And they didn't have success in either area uh, without Miles Turner, but also with the length that uh, Washington played with in the physicality. But with those two players that you mentioned, you go into a season thinking you're going to spend a lot of time talking about Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin. And the good thing is they did nothing to disappoint. Uh, maybe some turnovers, like I said, a little sloppiness, maybe some nervousness from Benedict Matherin early on. But you saw enough glimpses and flashes and just overall productivity uh, to think that it's going to be fun to watch them grow and develop. And I think even more importantly, grow together. With the time they were on the court together, it was fun to watch. So JJ joins us from Bally Sports Indiana Pacers again coming up tomorrow night, actually back-to-back nights, Friday and Saturday night at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, and then off for a five-game road trip after that. Were you surprised that 16 and 10, respectively, clockwise is all that Isaiah Jackson and Goga got last night with Miles not being able to play? Um, you know, it was an interesting decision for Rick Carlisle of once Miles Turner was taken out of the lineup, you have to make a pretty quick decision of, who you're going to put into the starting lineup. He acknowledged as much today that it was maybe matchup related that Kyle Kuzma as Washington's four, um, you know, maybe Terry Taylor was better suited to guard him and run around and chase him. And that may have factored into it. Foul trouble is always a concern with Isaiah Jackson. And so um, really the entire front court was battling through foul trouble. Jalen Smith was as well. Um, the, The total minutes Goga did not surprise me because if not for the injury, I'm not sure whether he would have been in that rotation or not. And so you don't automatically bump him up to a, you know, a 25 minute per game uh, situation. So um, it, it's one of those things. I think even when everyone's healthy, there are going to be some nights, maybe it's a Goga night off the bench. Some night, maybe you get a little more from Isaiah Jackson, but I do think you're still, you're still thinking big picture with Isaiah Jackson. So there are going to be plenty of opportunities for him. And maybe if there's a smaller front court, he really is able to take advantage of his lob game and, and really finish inside there it was a lot uh, more difficult against the wizards and so maybe that didn't help him as much with with the minutes but we're going to see different combinations you're going to see a lot of experimentation so there are going to be some nights you could always look at the box score when you've got 11 to 12 guys that are going to play or that are capable of playing and say on this night this guy didn't play as much but maybe the next night they'll get that opportunity jj's with us on the andy moore automotive group hotline i tell you what you knew Absolutely and fully, the NBA was back last night because of how many times we got to see Scott Foster go to the monitor. I mean, it just felt like home again last <laughs> night, didn't it? That was awesome. <laughs> and my uh, my seat is really close to that monitor, so I have to really be careful to be stoic and not provide any uh, oh. expressions for or against whatever calls are made. But there were a few replay reviews, and honestly – there were a couple of times that I thought they could have gone to the monitor when they didn't, when Pacer players were, were hitting the face or the head. But you'll just have to get used to some of those things. The one thing that we didn't see that I expected to see on opening night, and I'm really surprised, 
was I, I don't think we saw any of the take fouls called. And I've seen it around the league yeah. happen quite quite a bit. We didn't see any last night, and I think guys are quickly learning you can't just make a foul to stop a fast break. We'll see them probably in the first couple of weeks, but maybe it'll be something that is just removed from the game, and, and that's a good thing. But those are also calls that aren't going to be reasons to go to the monitor. If so, that would be a bad change. But I think they, they have to see it. They have to call it and be confident with the call. Um, but we didn't see any of those calls last night either. He ended up a 16 last night. I thought Jalen Smith had a bit of, of, of a first-game struggle, and, and Duarte had some struggles, I thought, when he was on the floor last night too. You agree? Yeah, you know, I think that with Duarte, I was really excited if, going into the season to see if Buddy Heald's on one side of the court and he's on the other and Tyrese Halliburton is finding them. I wanted to see him get some of those open looks, but I just never really felt like he got – in any kind of rhythm, especially if you think back to what he was able to do one year ago. But, uh, you know, it's one game of 82, and then at the end of the game, maybe he would have had a chance to make some plays late, and he had to leave due to the facial contusion. So I agree with your sentiments, but I'm not going to hit the panic button on Chris Duarte yeah. just yet. I, I, did, uh, I did note the improvement during the game from Jalen Smith because at halftime, and I think he's probably the one individual player that I'm watching right. most this season to see how he'll fit in. Uh, the first half was not good. He was in a bit of foul trouble, just did not look comfortable, but then really looked like a different player in the second half. So that's a positive sign. And also, you have to acknowledge that he's really been playing alongside Miles Turner most of training camp, really playing the four, primarily playing the five. Those are interchangeable at times, but different responsibilities. And when he's the five against a team like Washington, uh, there are going to be some ups and downs over the course of the game. JJ with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, Bally Sports, Indiana. And uh, how about the uh, the gangs going back on the road coming up after this weekend, right? The whole gang is going back again. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, first road trip for me since March of 2020. The last mm. time I broadcast on the road in person was at Dallas. It was the end of a long road trip, and I can remember towards the end of that trip getting my temperature taken quite a bit and being told maybe I shouldn't go out to dinner and here we are in uh, the fall of 2022 and i i tell you what i'm looking forward to it i know my family's still getting used to coming to grips with the fact that i'm going to hit the road on sunday and be gone for nine days but it's so much better and easier and just it's, it's the way to do the job is to be in person so i'm glad that we are allowed to go back on the road and that we have the support of the team and also the network to do so so chris and quinn and i will be on the road, and that'll be uh, an interesting five-game road trip that starts in Philadelphia on Monday. Yeah, let's see. I'm trying to think here. Philly, I know Chicago's a part of it. Brooklyn a couple of times. Who else am I missing? And then an- another game against Washington. So it's all Eastern yeah, Conference, yeah. but it'll be, it'll be Philly, Chicago, Washington, and then end with two games against the Nets at Barclays Center, including the last one on Halloween night. So Uh, I'm told next week it's supposed to get a little bit warmer than it's been, so maybe some of these cold-weather cities won't be quite as chilly. But either way, it will be great to be on the road. I think we can kind of get to know some of these young players just a little bit better, see some chemistry start to form, and and hopefully give everyone solid broadcast for that five-game trip. uh, Jeremiah Johnson, Valley Sports, Indiana. He's a part of the group, he and Chris and Quinn. And Eddie and the gang do a great job, did a great job last night of firing that bad boy up here for the first time this season. Pacers lose 114-107.
And uh, they'll go at it coming up again uh, tomorrow night and Saturday night right here downtown at Cambridge Fieldhouse. JJ, I appreciate you hopping on here as well. And with that Sabonis knowledge, because it did occur to me, actually, I was talking to your colleague, Chris Denary, on my way in, and we both came to the conclusion that, yeah, that's, that's what happened to Sabonis as well before one game. It definitely, so. yeah, it definitely happened. I just don't know whether how often it happens elsewhere around the league. But to happen to two different Pacer big men in the last four to five years, Probably more than average, but not unheard of. And so when you heard it happen last night, it was just like, really? Are you serious? And then the good news, though, today is that it's not going to be a long absence, and we can look forward, hopefully, to seeing him very soon. Didn't sound like that uh, Rick knew last night initially, did he? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. He's got meetings. He has different places to go. And and the players, it's not a team workout that he was injured in, so – Perhaps he had not even seen anyone at that point. And it, I was in the press room when, when he was asked about it, and it, it took took us all by surprise because we weren't out on the court. We had our broadcast meeting prior to, to that press conference. So, yeah, it looked, it looked to me like it was, it was news to him at the time, but it had obviously just happened. All right, J.J., I appreciate you, man. Great job as always. We'll do it again next week. All right. Thank you, John. It's uh, Jeremiah Johnson, uh, Bally Sports Indiana, with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group uh, line.